Turning this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 9. First Peter 1, 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord to us. Father, what a blessing it is to have a house of worship in an area where even on 24 hours notice due to an emergency, we can have our pulpit supply taken care of. What a blessing it is, dear Lord, and that to have Pastor Dave here to take Pastor Bob's place for this Sunday. And we pray that you'll be with him as he presents his message to us, and we pray that you will bless us as we receive that message. This we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I know your uh, outline sheet in the bulletin is not correct, of course, uh, but maybe there's some place to jot down the goal of this sermon. If you've got something to write with, something to write on, you may want to just jot the goal. What are we up to here this morning? Well, it's found right here in verse 3, where Peter puts an adjective on God, and he calls him blessed. Now, we've added the verb be, but it's fine, it's with a meaning, it's understood that we're here to be praising God. So what we're hoping for this morning is that this text 
will move all of us to deepen our, our praise, our worship, uh, of our ability to just come before God and say, God, blessed be you. You are amazing in my life. You've been so good to me. You're so wonderful to me. And, and to be filled up with the inexpressible joy that Peter is talking about in this text. That God would move us to that point this morning or a deeper level of it that we would come and just say, God, bless you. Bless you. And that's not easy here in the text. Because you see who Peter's writing to. He's writing to some folks that are hurting. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't show up in a funeral home going, blessed be God, blessed be God, right? In that kind of tone, you'd throw me out. And rightfully so. But if I show up in a funeral home and you're grieving the loss of I don't know, maybe your granddaughter. I sat with a couple yesterday grieving the loss of their granddaughter. Vibrant girl, wonderful girl. Seemed healthy, seemed good, seemed like everything was, was fine. They had no inclination, grandpa and grandma, that their granddaughter was hurting so bad that she would commit suicide. I didn't come in that door yesterday going, Blessed be God! But I did come in saying, blessed be God, who has given us hope in the darkest of times. Peter's not writing in a vacuum here. He's writing to some people that have been hurting. They've been, they've been dispersed, the text tells us in verse 1. I'm not exactly sure when these elect believers were dispersed out into present-day Turkey. With the name of these cities, you can just go right around Present-day Turkey, Pontus, Galatia, you know, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. It's all these, all these cities all around. They got dispersed out there. In other words, that's not their home. Somebody kicked them out of their home. Maybe it's a dispersion that's recorded in Acts where they, where they had a launch out of Jerusalem, get out of there before they got killed. Maybe that was it. I'm not sure. Maybe Nero is already attacking the Christians even out into the area of, of, of this area after the burning of Rome, I, we're, we're, I'm not exactly sure, but, but regardless, obviously, these people are hurting. Wouldn't you hurt? You got a letter today in the mail that said, hey, you got one week to get out of your house. Your bank account's already been confiscated. Get out. I mean, you and I, we can't even reflect on something like that. I can't, even, I can't even engage in that, can you? But that's the case here. And so Peter's writing to them. And what he starts with is really an amazing thing, that he would say this. He doesn't start out the letter by saying, hey, you know, I know you're hurting. I heard, I heard, things, I heard life's tough. I heard this, and I just want to come alongside you and love on you and help you in any way I can. Not sure what to say. No, he, he comes right out and says, blessed be God. Wow. Are you living in that kind of lifestyle? Is that just what's on your heart today? And are you able with Peter to say that? I don't know where, where you're at. I don't know what hurts you may have come in here with today, some of you may have some very large hurts like this grandpa and grandma I was just talking about. Or some of you, 
just got just small little things, little things. We would say they're trivial, but they're not trivial because they are affecting you, and so it's hard for you to come and say, blessed be God. So that's, that's, where, that's the goal. And that ought to be our goal every day in our life, shouldn't it? It should be, yes. But that's our goal this morning in this, this sermon. <clears throat> so let me ask you this morning, are you healthy? Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, how, where are you? Are you healthy? Are you happy? Are you holy? I'm personally growing in the conviction that if I'm not healthy, and I'm not happy, and I'm not holy, I'm not bringing to any relationship I have something good. Whether it's my marriage, or relationship elders in the church, or people in the community, it doesn't matter. Even my relationship with God, if I'm not healthy, I'm not bringing forth the best of, of Dave. And who can make me healthy and happy and holy? God. And so he's our hope today, is he not, congregation? So that's the goal, to get healthy um, so that we can be a blessing to others. Now, don't get on the wrong page there. Don't get out of balance there. You know, live a life where it's all about me, 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 me being healthy, holy, and happy. But so that I can be healthy, holy, and happy, so that I can, uh, I can give. I don't know. To put it simply, I, God is holy, healthy. It's a trivial word, but I'll say it. God is happy, and because of it, look at look at how He's, look at how He ministers to us. See, so to be like God and to walk in His image is to be that God. Boys and girls, you know the shorter catechism. Or, no, it's a children's catechism. How, in what condition did God make you, right, right? Do you remember that? He made me holy and happy. Of course, then sin came and messed up my holiness and messed up my happiness. If, if you had, uh, uh, some teenagers were goofing around with me one day when we were at youth meeting, and they said, Pastor, if you... If you were put on some island and, and you only had one book to take with you, what book would you take? I said, well, of course, the Bible. Okay, okay, Pastor, okay. Well, what, what chapters in the Bible? Would, if you only could pick out a few chapters in the Bible, what would you take with you? Wow, is that tough, right? So we were goofing around with that, thinking about that a minute. Like, you know, Psalm 23, you know, you want to go with that. But, I, you know, I thought for me, I don't know about you, but for me, Romans 1, I'm sorry, Romans 8, Romans 8. Romans 8, for sure. Ephesians 1, that's a, that's a chapter that really helps me get happy, holy, healthy. But let me give you one more. It's 1 Peter. It's this chapter right here. This chapter has been a blessing to me. So I hope we can just spend a few minutes, and that's all we've got is a few minutes, to just, just look at this. How does this chapter help us be healthy, holy, Happy. Let's, let's look. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, why so? Why, Peter? According to his great mercy. Okay, that's, that's why he did it. There he is giving. He has caused us, what did he do? To be born again. Who did that? God did that. I didn't have anything more to do with my physical birth than I do with my spiritual birth. God 
has everything to do with it. Look what God has done. If you're thinking today about being just buried in, 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 in healthiness, buried in just happiness, and even that will move us to holiness, here it is. God has caused us to be born again. What does that mean? He's taken us out of the pit and despair of sin where we were just entrapped and held in this bondage, unable to be free, and God has pulled us out of that to cause us to be born again. That is just amazing thing that ought to move us, as, as Peter has said in the text, verse 8, with an inexpressible joy filled with just, with just glory. Doesn't it just make you smile today? Doesn't it just like, whoa, yeah, that helps me breathe. God's caused me to be born again. You know, that's that old sermon Jesus gave Nicodemus. We see it happening right now all about us. That's why I love springtime, right? You've been walking around your garden. Oh, here come them hostas. Oh, it, it, daffodils are up. Yep, tulips. Yep, everything. Things are coming back, back to life. That's this term. It's not a term that's used a lot in the Scriptures. But it is, it is a term used in their culture at the time that, that things that were you know, like dead, coming back to life. Like those trees that are just starting to bud out. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between a dead tree and a, and, and a, and a live tree in the dead of winter, can you? No, it's hard to tell. But we can tell now because they're coming to life. And that's what Christians are. Coming. Coming to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that ought to just fill us with great joy. By His great mercy. You know what that means. Abundant pity. He just looks at us. and Boy, He sure looked at me. <laughs> just shook His head with a lot of pity. Ah, oh, Dave, what are you doing? Come here. Let me give you new life. So the life we now live outside of Christ can be best described as just walking amongst the dead that are indeed dying more and more every day. We're not just suffering from some kind of COVID. We're suffering from a Christlessness. But when he causes us to be born again and open our eyes and see his glory, it's the beginning of hope. Now, I, I know, I know when, when I say to you that God has had pity on you, that probably kind of bugs your pride. But let me just bug your pride a minute and say, God's got pity on you. Me too. And it's a great mercy, greater than my pride, to bust through and break me that I might have hope now in Christ. Well, what did he, he cause me to to come to life. Okay, that's a wonderful thing. That's what the text says, right? Here it is. Are you following along in verse 3? He's caused us to be born again. What? He caused us to be born again, then he just sat us on, on the ground there. You're alive. Sit there. No. He caused us to be born again to something. Look at the text. To a what? Hope. To a, let's describe it, a living hope. Let's put an I-N-G on it, which means it's just continuing and continuing to go forward. A living hope. So sometimes I wonder myself, why? What's the matter with you? Why aren't you filled with more hope? Why are you so 
negative? Why are you in despair? God has caused me to be born again to a, to a hope. Oh, that God would help me live in that hope. Hope is described in the, in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 is a good hope. Titus 2.13 is a blessed hope. But now in 1 Peter, uh, or second, uh, 1 Peter 1, it's a living hope. So what is a living hope? It's a hope that empowers us to thrive in the midst of trouble. <clears throat> That's why Peter starts out with this. Because these guys are in trouble. This whole book, 1 Peter, is about suffering and walking with Jesus in our suffering. And so he starts out by laying out that we have hope, congregation. We have hope. Don't let Satan take that from you. You have hope. We have a God who's given us a living hope. It's the opposite of a worthless hope. It's, it's a confident expectation. It's a sure belief in the Word of God. It's a faith that says, I don't care what my circumstances are. God is God in my life. It's a sure belief. What will happen in the future is great and glorious. We Christians, <clears throat> we believe some amazing things. I was in a cemetery recently, again, in a funeral, and walking around the cemetery. You know, one of these days, every grave is going to open. Now, you, you may today say, well, I, really? I don't, I don't know. That's what the scriptures teach. Every grave will open. So even when death itself comes, it does not win the victory in Christ. So this is, this is our, our living hope, born out of the new birth that God gives us. All right, let's follow along in verse 3. What's next? To a living help, hope. How do you do it? What, what's the basis through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Now, this is a little from the dead, of course, Peter. I mean, you don't resurrect something that's alive. But he adds it for emphasis. Jesus Christ was dead three days. Absolutely dead. I was talking to my uh, friend in Malawi, Africa. And uh, he was telling me about how they declare someone dead in, in, in the villages in Malawi. He said, well, first of all, when somebody dies, no one is allowed to cry or mourn until the village chief comes and says, he's dead. Then you can cry. Then, after, uh, after that, they take the body and wash it, and then they take the uh, bucket of water out, uh, outside the home where the village has gathered around, and you've got the wash basin, and you dump the water into the ground, and you say, he is dead. And then, and then <clears throat> you, you take the body, and you bury him, or her, and then you declare, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. That's the, that's the emphasis here. It's the emphasis in the Apostles' Creed, by the way, also, right? Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, 
buried, right? Sent into hell. Like how many times the Apostles' Creed got us tell us he's dead? But you see, you, we don't understand the power and the joy and the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ if we're questioning whether he's dead. No, he was dead. That's what Peter's saying here. There was no hope for the apostles. It was over. And then the power of the Spirit of God came into that tomb and raised Jesus from the dead. Wouldn't you just love to have been a fly on the wall and watch that? What did he do? Was it his eye that opened first? Maybe his finger started to twitch? I don't know. But he came to life. Listen, you may have some things in your life right now. I'm just dead. Maybe that's how you describe your marriage right now. It's just dead. It's going nowhere. It's just dead. God is the God that takes what's dead brings it to life and that's where I find my hope and that's where I find my happiness that's where I find my health that's where I find my hope amen it's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ our preaching is not empty our faith is not foolish the apostles were not liars 500 people testified to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 1 Corinthians 15 And those guys could have been interviewed by these very people that Peter's writing to. Most of them are still alive. He's alive. Without the resurrection, Christianity has no meaning for humanity. But with the resurrection, which is indeed true, we have meaning, we have purpose, we have hope. Philippians 3. 10. Do you know that verse? Philippians 3.10. It says that Paul's getting down to the bottom line of what's driving him, what's giving him hope. He says that I may know him. That's the first thing. I want to know the person of Jesus Christ. Second thing, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know that power that could take a dead man and bring him back to life. I want to know that power. If that power is for Christ, then that power is for me. And I want to know even the persecution, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto him, even unto death. Do you know him? Do you know that power? Or has that power been getting kind of faded in your vision because of just troubles and, and, and problems? That's why Peter's writing this, so that we get a fresh view of the power of Christ who takes even that which is dead and brings it back to life. So without the resurrection, we're we're more than just, we're we're nothing more than just a corpse in a casket. That's all we are. We're just walking around waiting to die. But with Christ, we have eternal hope. So praise be to God, Christ is risen. But now there's a further work here in the text. Are you still with me? Verse 4. We're raised by, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, two, here we go again. Oh, by the way, boys and girls, have, have you been uh, instructed at school about a run-on sentence? You know what I mean when I say that? You know, a sentence is, you never find the period. You just keep going on. Well, this whole text is one sentence. Peter had that problem. He didn't get a good grade from his English teacher. 
So us English people, we had to go in here and put periods in here and commas and stuff. Peter didn't do that. He was just flowing out with this thing. That's the way verses 3 through 9 need to be read. Oh, I know we need to slow down in some of that part. But for the most part, he's just pouring out. So what's he pouring out? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To an, to an inheritance. He's pouring into something else here now. What's our hope? It's in an inheritance. An inheritance that's yet to come. You are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now I know for some of us, and we've got to be careful here, that we think to ourselves of the inheritance of the hope of glory, that one day we're going to be on the new earth, yeah, right? And we're going to have this nice riverbed going by our log cabin, and we'll be fishing out there. That might be true. But if that's my hope, <clears throat> I just fell into idolatry. What's the inheritance that we're going to receive? What is it? After we die, and, and, and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what, what's the inheritance? Can I help you with that? Romans 8, 17. That's why I love Romans 8. Romans 8, 17. You want to just flip there a minute? There's your inheritance. You want to look at the will a minute? Go ahead. Look at the will that's coming. you got your name on it. Romans 8, 17. All right, we'll start at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. I'm sorry. Are you there? You get there? you got to see this. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit tells us this, talks to us, and says, we are the children of God. Wow. Right? That doesn't give me hope. You're a child of God. So what's, what's the outcome of that? Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. <clears throat> well, heirs of what? Some log cabin on a, on a river on a new earth? No. Heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ. Wow. Wow. There, there's, the, there's that first commandment. There's no other God besides me. There's no, nothing better than me. What are we going to inherit? Nothing better. There's anything better. So what are we going to inherit? God. God himself. To be like him. To know him. We're born into a family. Now, uh, let me try to give a quick illustration here a minute, okay? I'll try to do this. I don't always make this clear. Let's say you live in, uh, I don't know, what? San Francisco. And you got this rich uncle in uh, New Hampshire. Okay? All right? And he writes you a letter. If you'll come to New Hampshire, he'll give you 10 billion bucks. Nice. What are you going to do? Uh, duh, Pastor Dave, I'm going I'm to go to New Hampshire. Okay, so let's start going to New Hampshire. Let's get in that, get in that old Ford pickup truck of yours and start heading down, down the road out of San Francisco, heading for New Hampshire to get your 10 billion bucks. And your Ford breaks down, of course, right? Flip, found on road, dead, something, flipped over, I don't know, okay. Ford, right, okay. So, so now what are you going to do? Your Ford's break, broke down. You can't get to New Hampshire. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there in the truck <laughs> whining and crying? What are you going to do? You're going to figure out any other way you can get to New Hampshire. You're focused. You're in pursuit of the inheritance. You're going for this thing. So I don't care if you've got to rent a car, jump on a bus, get on a train. Walk. You will walk to New Hampshire, won't you? Come on, tell me. Yes, I would, Pastor. You're not going to sit around complaining and crying sitting in that truck. 
a lot of times I got a problem in my life. So what am I doing? I'm sitting around complaining instead of pursuing. I want to pursue Christ. I want to pursue this inheritance. I want to pursue what God has for me and has for you. I'm not going to sit around playing the victim role in some old broke-down Ford. Let's get going here. Let's get to New Hampshire and get to 10 billion bucks. Now, we're not talking about 10 billion bucks. We're talking about something far, 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 far greater than that. We're talking about God. Tonight, we're going to look at Moses, and he says, he says to God, would you show me your glory? Do you know the answer? Tonight, we'll see the answer. What's God going to do when we assemble ourselves before the throne room of God? He will show you his glory. And there will be nothing ever greater than that. And folks, you and I need to stop sitting around our broke down fort. We got to get pursuing. So he gives us this inheritance. Where are you at in this journey? Are you sitting around in San Francisco not trusting this uncle's going to give you the 10 billion bucks? I mean, where, where are you? Are you? Are you somewhere on the road? You got a broke leg or something. Now, now that's hampering you. That's causing a problem. Keep going, Christian. Right? Keep going. To this, to this inheritance. How is it described? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. That's not how I would describe a Ford. Just a little joke there. Who by God's power are being guarded. See, Peter's just still pouring it out. He can't even stop. We're being guarded. You think to yourself, yeah, but oh, maybe I'll lose the salvation. Maybe I'll lose the inheritance. Maybe I'll lose. Maybe, maybe this won't work. No, it's being guarded. Yeah, but you don't understand. Satan's on this thing. My own sin nature's a mess. The world's caused me all kinds of problems. I got a lot of issues in my life. I don't think I'm going to make this inheritance. You're being guarded. One of the most beautiful pictures of that is in 2 Kings 6, right? Um, Elisha. I can't tell you the whole story, but you, you, you know the story anyways. But he's, he's, in this, he's in this town, and he goes to sleep at night. And uh, the king of Syria is so mad at Elisha, he wants him dead. So he sends his whole army, I don't know, thousands of guys. They surround the city while Elisha's sleeping. He wakes up in the morning. And here's all the enemies surrounding the town. And the servant of Elisha says, you remember what he said? Master, Master, we don't have any hope. Look, look at the enemy. Remember what Elisha said? He prays. Father, would you help my servant see? Would you give him some new eyes? Would you give him some born-again eyeballs so that he can see what's going on here? And God, in his great mercy, helps the servant see the heavenly host surrounding Elisha and his servant. You know the rest of the story. Cast the whole army into blindness. 
saves Elisha. See, you and I right now, what we can do is we could start looking at all the problems we got in our life and wake up and go, oh, just be so overwhelmed. Haven't you been overwhelmed in your problems? These guys, are, these, these, these folks that Peter's writing to have been overwhelmed. One thing after another. And what we're being called to do is open our eyes to behold the power of our God and the great mercy of our God who's come to give us hope. I hope you have hope today. For it will result in God being blessed by his people, praised. It will result in our own rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And it will result in endurance for the saints. Now let me close. One more story. Civil War. Lee is in Petersburg. And the Union troops are surrounding him. That enrichment. And uh, Lee has to finally retreat. He gathers up his troops, some 30,000 troops. That's all he's got left of his vast army, 30,000 guys. And anyways, he, gets, he, starts, he leads them out of St. Peter. He leads them out of Petersburg because he hears of a town, uh, a day's march away, a day and a night march away, that had food, cattle cars full of food. And so he, he says, guys, we got to get out of here. He starts, starts leading them. Now listen, that Confederate army at this point is so depleted in, in, in morale, they're barefoot. They're starving. They've been eating bark off the trees. This is April. There's nothing to eat. They march all day, all night, to get to this town that's supposed to have some food for them. Uh, I think it was Amelia. They get there. They open the boxcars after an all-day, all-night march. What have they got in the boxcars? Now, you got it. Nothing. Nothing. Then Lee's told, keep going. Keep getting up to Farmville. There's some supplies in Farmville. Get your troops to Farmville. Oh, great. Another all-night, all-day march. Can you do that on an empty belly, barefoot in April? Off they go. And as they go, troops are just falling away, falling away. He gets to Farmville, gets a little bit resupplied. But what do you think the Union Army's doing at this point? Pressuring, surrounding him in their ever-growing force. They got over 100,000 troops at this point g g gathering all around him. Lee, but Lee keeps moving. Lee's just hoping if he can get his troops down to North Carolina, he can join up with the army that's, that's there in North Carolina and get strong again. The Union Army cuts him off. He can't get away. His troops are surrounded. And what does he do? Because there is no longer any, what? Hope. What's he do? He quits. He surrenders. Because there is no longer any, what? Christian, you will never be able to say there is no longer any 
hope. I don't know what problems God and his sovereignty will bring into your life, but you will never be able to say, there's no hope. There's no hope. There's nothing more we can do here. We've just got to surrender. Satan's won. The world and its culture has won. We need to surrender. My own wretched heart is so bad, I might as well just quit. Give it up. Surrender. No, you will never, ever be able to truthfully say that because there is Hope for the Christian. The proof is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who has brought to you an an eternal inheritance in Christ. Amen? So we are never, ever to surrender. Now, congregation, let me ask you this morning. Are you set with such a stand? Have you said to the enemy's face, I will never surrender? Why? Because God has given me a living hope. May God bless you to that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this this hope, this blessed hope, for you are a blessed God. And we have sought this morning, Lord, to further our worship of you because you have given us great reason for hope. Father, bless this congregation. Bless each person here this morning or listening on live stream. Fill us with hope. Fill us with hope. Lord, help us not to act like the victim, but to rise up in the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit who came and raised Jesus from the dead. Now, Father, come and raise our dead hearts that we might rise up as a vast army to praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.